Amen, amen. What a blessing, moment by moment with Jesus. I'm afraid sometimes we try to live our lives and fast forward. And I think it would be a wonderful thing if we could each learn to slow down and just live life one moment at a time in fellowship with our Savior. Amen. Ezra chapter 8 in your Bibles tonight. Ezra chapter number 8. We'll look at just a few verses tonight. But in the book of Ezra chapter 8 verse number 21. It says, Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river of Ahava that we might afflict ourselves before God to seek of him a right way for us and for our little ones and for all our substance. For I was ashamed to require of the king a band of soldiers and horsemen to help us against the enemy in the way, because we had spoken unto the king, saying, The hand of our God is upon all them for good that seek him, but his power and his wrath is against all them that forsake him. So we fasted and besought our God for this, and he was entreated of us. Lord, we thank you for your goodness to us, and we thank you for letting us come to your house in the middle of the week, Lord, and to sing hymns of praise to your name and get to lift you up for just a few moments, Lord, as your family. And Lord, we ask tonight that you be with the preaching of your word. God, would your Holy Spirit have its will and its way in the service, Lord, through me and in the hearts of all these, your people. We ask tonight, God, that you'd remove obstacles from hearing your voice speak to us in our hearts and that you'd let your word have a free way, Lord, wherever it sees fit to go and whatever it sees fit to do. We ask that you'd bless all that's said and done this evening. Let it honor and glorify you. In the name of Jesus we ask it. Amen. As we come to this passage in Ezra chapter number 8, we've reached a very momentous time in the history of the nation of Israel. Sixty years prior to this, their temple had just been rebuilt after its destruction by Nebuchadnezzar when Babylon conquered the nation of Judah. And we know that when they rebuilt that second temple, it wasn't anything like the first one was. It lacked all the gold and the silver and the fancy trimmings that lent that royal grandeur to Solomon's temple. It didn't have the finely carved cedar and the masterfully crafted bowls and spoons and candlesticks that lent such, such worldwide glory to that temple. The second temple was much smaller and it wasn't anything like the first one. Everything that was overlaid with gold in the first one was just plain wood in the second one and all the stone that had been embedded with gems and rubies in the first one was nothing but plain ordinary stone in this second one. But here in the passage we've come to a man by the name of Ezra, a scribe, a direct descendant of Aaron, the first high priest, has taken it upon himself at the bidding of the Holy Ghost to go back to Jerusalem and to try to restore some of the splendor to that temple that it had once had. He wants to collect some of the gold and some of the silver and some of the goods of the land and of the kingdom and take them back to Jerusalem to work and to restore the house of God to where it had once been. And in the previous chapter of this, chapter number 7, we find in verse 1 that Ezra had come to Artaxerxes, the king of Persia, with that request that he would take a group of scribes and of teachers and of workers and their wives and their children with them and they would make this pilgrimage back to Jerusalem to begin this work on the temple. And the reason he wants to take this trip is twofold. Not only does he want to restore the temple to what it had once been, but he is also seeking to bring a revival to God's people at Jerusalem. If you look at chapter 7, verse number 10, it says, For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord, and to do it, and to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. And if we were to read and look further on in this book, we would find that's just what he did. 
He brought everything he said he would to the temple and he restored it to not what it had been before, but something closer to what it was before. But we also read of one of the greatest revivals that we've ever known of in this world when Ezra brought the word of God back to the children of Israel at Jerusalem. And Ezra came to Artaxerxes with this request that he would let him and this large group of people journey back to Jerusalem. And Artaxerxes gave him his permission, but he did something more than that. Not only did he tell Ezra, go ahead and do what the Lord has laid on your heart, but if you look in chapter number 7, down at verse number 23, this is Artaxerxes speaking to Ezra in a letter. He said, whatsoever is commanded by the God of heaven, let it be diligently done for the house of, God of, for the house of the God of heaven. For why should there be wrath against the realm of the king and his sons? Not only does he give Ezra permission to go back and do what God's instructed him to do, but he adds his commandment on top of God's commandment for Ezra to go fulfill this work. But he does something even more than that. Look at verse number 21. Not only is he adding the force of his authority to God's commandment for Ezra, but verse number 21 says, And I, even I, Artaxerxes, the king, do make a decree to all the treasurers which are beyond the river, that whatsoever Ezra the priest, the scribe of the law of God of heaven, shall require of you, it shall be done speedily. Unto an hundred talents of silver, and unto an hundred measures of wheat, and do an hundred baths of wine, and do an hundred baths of oil and salt, without prescribing how much. Look at verse 24. Also we certify you that touching any of the priests and Levites, singers, porters, nethanims, or ministers of this house of God, it shall not be lawful to impose toll, tribute, or custom upon them. Not only did Artaxerxes say, you have my permission and furthermore my command to go fulfill God's will, but he said, when you go, I'm going to pay for it. Everywhere along your journey, wherever you need supply, wherever you need something to meet your needs and to help with this work, you stop off at my treasuries and you get your supply from there for your journey. Ezra has the most open door you could possibly imagine to go fulfill this task that God has laid on his heart. Right. But with the king's permission and with the king's funding and and with a group of people ready to go, one obstacle remains in Ezra's way before he can accomplish the task that God has assigned to him. Before he can rebuild that temple, before he can preach the word to the people at Jerusalem, there's a journey that Ezra will have to go on. And it is no small journey. The city of Babylon was something like 920 miles from the city of Jerusalem which would be traveled on foot by a large crowd of people, very, very slow going. And on this journey, they're going to face the perils of nature, be it storms or rivers that they have to cross or hills they may have to climb. There's going to be some hard places for them along this journey. And they're going to have to deal with the animals, with, with lions, with bears, with serpents, with all these things that may come in insidiously to do them harm on this trip. They're going to have to face that. And along this journey, on every hand, are the enemies of God and the enemies of God's people who would be more than happy for an opportunity to wipe out a band of Jewish travelers and rob them of all their goods. This is not a small undertaking for Ezra and this troop of people. It will take them four months to reach their destination, four long, hard months of traveling to get to ba from Babylon to Jerusalem, but they will get there. And you may wonder how it is that they could make a trip like that unscathed. They'll say later on that the Lord our God brought us safely on our way. And he did. 
But there's something I want us to look back on, something that happened before the journey that ensured them their safe passage back to Jerusalem to do the work of the Lord. And it was those verses we read at the beginning, chapter 8, verses 21 to 23. As they're getting ready to take this journey, the Bible doesn't tell us how long before they set off it was, but Ezra said, Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river Ahava, that we might afflict ourselves before God to seek of Him a right way for us and for our little ones and for all our substance. Ezra looked at these men and these women and these children that were going to take this journey with them and he said, you're all willing to go. We've got the crowd we need. We've got the king's authority. He's given us permission to take this trip. We have the king's financial backing. He's going to pay for us to help us take this trip. But it's going to be a dangerous trip. And with everything that the king can give us, with everything the king can grant us to help us on our way, if we're going to get there safely, it will be by the hand of God. If we're going to arrive at the destination that God has picked out for us, it will be because the good hand of our Lord God was upon us. And there on the banks of the river Ahava, we don't know how long it was, it was certainly several days, Ezra and that troop got together and before they took one step on their journey to reach Jerusalem, before they made one move to try to accomplish anything in their mission, they stopped and sought the will of God. They stopped and sought the direction of God for what they were about to undertake. And they had a prayer meeting there that I imagine we've never seen anything like. They did something there that's become very out of fashion and out of shape for God's people. They got together and they literally begged God to put His hand upon them in what they were about to undertake for Him. And I'm afraid today that God's people have lost sight of one of our most valuable tools, and that is our weapon of prayer. It's the most invaluable asset we have to be able to touch heaven for our needs, for our requests, or even simply to praise our Lord God. But though it's the most valuable weapon we've got, it's the dullest one in our package. It's the least used one in our armory. And I believe that many of the things we see in our churches today and many of the things we see causing trouble and harm in the families today can be attributed not only to, to whatever sources that we generally do that cause these, these, these shortcomings in our families and churches, but I believe they can be attributed to a lost ability to pray, to a lost ability in God's people to get a hold of their God for whatever they may face. And if I could for a few minutes today, I'd like to look at this prayer meeting they had down by the river and see what we can draw from it for our learning and for our benefit. I want you to see first off the sacrifice of their prayer. Ezra said, Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river Ahava that we might afflict ourselves before our God. They didn't simply get down the night before their trip and say, Lord, we have a long journey ahead and it's going to be dangerous. Would you please protect us on the way? They didn't just get down and take an hour or two hours and say, Lord, we're going to need a lot of help and a lot of protection and a lot of provision. Would you bless this trip? But no, they took the time and they went to the effort to deprive themselves of normal everyday pleasures for the benefit of a more powerful prayer in the direction of heaven. What they desired to do, what they were attempting for the Lord meant so much to them that they were willing to sacrifice and to cut themselves off from things they would normally have to get a hold of God for His direction on that journey. 
And I wonder in our lives and in our hearts, when the last time something meant so much to us that we were willing to put ourselves on a fast to get a hold of God, or we were willing to set aside something we typically regard as necessary to get God's blessing and His help on what we're about to do. Why is it that when things go wrong in life, seems we look every direction nowadays but God? When someone falls sick, we know where the best doctor is. When, when the government turns wild on us, we know who the next best candidate is. When we lose our job, we've got a connection who can hook us up with a new one. Why is it the last thing that comes into our mind is our Lord God? I'm afraid today that the casual attitude with which we approach our prayer, it's too practical, it's, it's too habitual. Even, even someone who prays faithfully, often we do it because we know it's what we're supposed to do. Often we do it because we know God's word commands us to do it. But when was the last time we earnestly got on our faces before God and begged him for his touch and his direction and his help with what we're about to do in our lives? These people, they didn't just get together for their nightly family prayers. They didn't just get together to pray as a congregation. But they said, we're not going to eat and we're not going to drink until we know that we've touched heaven and reached God for what we need from him. I find it interesting that it doesn't just say they fasted, but it says they afflicted themselves. Now that does not mean that they cut themselves or abused themselves as many of the pagans at the time did. But I believe what that is pointing us to is that they went without so long, they began to suffer from it. It began to hurt them how long they'd been without. I remember a long time ago, this is my mom's favorite story by the way. We had something going on. I don't really remember what it was. It was a long time ago. And our dad had told us, here's what we're going to do. For a week, we're going to not eat lunch, and at lunchtime every day, we're going to pray. That's a great thing for a parent to teach their child, but I'll have you know I made it till about 12.45 on the first day of fasting and sat down on our front porch steps crying because I hadn't eaten in so long. I hadn't eaten since breakfast, and that was hard. It was tough. I didn't like it. And the truth is, I don't like it any more now than I did then. And you don't either. But the truth of the matter is, sometimes we face an obstacle. Sometimes we face a trial. Sometimes we face a need that is more than we can handle. It's more than we can take on ourselves. And the only way we will get past it is by the hand of God. And sometimes we face something that what we really need to do is we need to start sacrificing a little something. Putting something aside, whether it be food, whether it be a television, I don't know what it is. But something that we normally take time for in a day. To set that aside and begin to spend that time in prayer. To seek help from our God. Because we need it. We need it desperately and in many areas. And we have got to learn again as Christians how we can get on our knees and get a hold of our God. The sacrifice of their prayer was amazing. It reminds me of Esther when the Persians had decreed that they would destroy all the Jews in the kingdom. And Esther didn't say to Haman or to Mordecai, you know, well, let me go talk to the king and see what he can do about it. She said, here's what we're going to do. Me and my handmaidens, we're going to fast for three days and three nights. We're not going to eat anything. We're not going to drink anything. 
And I want you to go out to all the nation. And I want you to tell them to do the same thing, to fast for three days and for three nights. Because, brother, if we're going to get through this, and it's not going to be us that does it. If we're going to get through this, it's not going to be strength in numbers or strength in political authority, but it will be strength in God. And it meant enough to them. It meant enough to them to get a hold of their God that they were willing to sacrifice something of their own for that extra reach at the throne room. I believe fasting adds an extra desperation to our prayer. I believe that going without on God's behalf shows him that we are sincere and we are earnest in getting what we are seeking on our knees. And I wonder today, when was the last time we were so earnest, so burdened about something in our prayer life that we were so willing to say, Lord, I'm going without today. I'm not going to eat now. I'm not going to watch my TV. I'm not going to play my games. But I'm going to get down on my face and I'm going to spend some time seeking God and seeking his hand on my life. The sacrifice of their prayer was astounding to me. Not just the sacrifice of their prayer, but the subject of their prayer. So often we become selfish in how we pray, do we not? If we go at it for too long, it becomes, Lord, I need this. Lord, I need that. God, I'd, really like, I'd just like to have an easy day today. Lord, would you keep me safe? Lord, would you protect me? Lord, here's what I'm going to do today. Would you put your blessing on it? But that's not how they prayed. They didn't come to God and say, Lord, we're going to take this journey. Please help us. They came to God and watch what they said in verse 21. They, they proclaimed the fast. They afflict themselves in the middle of the verse. It says to seek of him a right way for us and for our little ones and for all our substance. They were not looking for God's blessing on their journey. They were not looking for God's protection on the route that they had picked. But what they were looking for was for God to lay out a route for them. They were looking for God to direct them in a way that he would have them go. And I'm afraid that too often in my own life and in the lives of others that what we get hung up on is I've got my plans. I've got my way laid out. Now I just got to get God on board with it. But that's not how God does things. God has a plan. God has a way. God has a will for our lives. But he never forces it on us. He may lay it out there for us, but he never forces us to follow it. That is up to you and up to me as believers. And sometimes we may not know exactly what he'd want us to do or how he'd have us to do something. And then it becomes time for us to get on our faces and seek his will and seek his direction for our lives and for what we're about to undertake. They knew what God wanted done. He wanted his temple restored. He wanted his people revived. But they didn't plan out their own route for it. They knew the end goal, but they said, Lord, you choose the way. That's what we need in our hearts. That's what we need in our lives is an attitude of God. I know what you want me to do. I know you want me to preach the gospel to every creature. I know you want me to be kind one to another. I know, children, you want me to obey my parents. Sometimes, though, I just need to be shown the way. Sometimes instead of picking our own route to achieve what we believe God's will, what might happen if we'd get on our faces and say, God, what's your route? What's your way? What's your design for this task to be accomplished? It reminds me of Lot. Lot's an interesting character in the Bible to me because if ever there was a man in the Bible that you and I would finger out and say, he's in hell, it would be Lot. 
For the Bible says that, Jot was, that Lot was a just man and that he had a righteous soul. That's what the Bible says about him. But you know the story how Lot split off from Abraham and he went down into that well-watered plain of Jordan and he took his family down into Sodom. And God sent two angels to Lot one day and he said, I'm going to destroy this place. I'm going to wipe it out. You need to get out. And God said, I've prepared a mountain, a place of safety. I want you to go there. And Lot said, okay. And as they were leaving the city, after much prodding and pushing, Lot said, you know, I know you picked a place for me to go, but I have a better idea. There's a place over here where I'd like to go. It's a little city called Zoar. Not a big place. It's not like Sodom and Gomorrah. That's just a little place. Could we go there instead? The Lord said, fine, have it your way. And off they went to Zoar. And you know how the tale went. The truth is, Zoar wasn't far enough away. Zoar wasn't the place God picked for him. And Lot's wife looked back from the city of Zoar and became a pillar of salt. And now he's lost his wife. And finally, after much delay and much humdrumming and dragging his feet, Lot finally left and he finally went to that mountain. But you know what he found out when he got there? Too late. He finally got to that place God had prepared. But when he got there, you know the story and what his daughters did with him in that cave. He lost his family. He got where God called him to, but he tried to get there his own way. And when he got there, it didn't work out how he thought it would. And wouldn't it be something in this place tonight if as families, as fathers and mothers, we would get on our hands and knees and say, God, what's your way for us? What's your way for me and for my spouse and for my children? Hey, my home and my car and my substance that you've given me. What is your direction for that? We've lost the ability to pray with sacrifice. We've lost the ability to pray with substance, to pray for those things that really count, to pray for those things that really matter. And if we could get our eyes and our, and our hearts off of what we want and off of what God has laid out for us and begin to pray in those avenues and in those alleys and no longer pray seeking God's permission or blessing on our way, but seeking His way for us. What a difference that might make in our lives. What a difference it might make in our families and in our churches and in our workplaces. If we begin to say, no longer am I concerned with me, but God, what do you want? What is your will and what is your way? I want you to see thirdly, not just the sacrifice of their prayer, the fasting, the affliction that they went to to touch heaven. And not just the subject of their prayer, that they weren't concerned with themselves, but rather with what God wanted. But I want you to see the statement of their prayer. Look at verse number 22. Ezra said, For I was ashamed to require of the king a band of soldiers and horsemen to help us against the enemy in the way, because we had spoken unto the king, saying, The hand of our God is upon all them for good that seek him, but his power and his wrath is against all them that forsake him. Ezra said, We know we're going to need protection." We know we're going to need help on this trip and on this journey. We know we can't do it by ourselves. And over there in the city is a king with armies and a king with soldiers and horses and fighting men. And if we were to ask, he'd give it to us. I know that. He'd be happy to help us and happy to send us the protection we need. But Ezra said, the other day when I was in there, I told him that if we went on this trip, we didn't need him because God was going to protect us. I told him we weren't going to need his help beating our enemies because God was going to do that for us. 
Ezra said, if we go and ask him for help now, it's going to undermine the testimony we have that our God is enough. And can I tell you, I know in my own life personally, there have been times to others, I have undermined the testimony that I once had that my God was enough. Unfortunately, the way it is when others come to us and say, man, isn't our country a mess? And we say, yeah, I know, if we could just get Trump in there, it'd fix everything. If we could get Republicans back in control, the world would be all peachy keen. Wouldn't it be something if next time someone asked us out on the job site, we said, you know what would help is if we get God in control. If we could get God to take over this country. If we could get people back to Jesus Christ. See, the problem is in our, in our, in our desire to turn towards man and seek his help and rely on his strength, others see that. Others see every time we come to a problem and God's the last resort. The men on your job site see it when God's not the first person you turn to in a time of trouble. And what kind of a testimony would it be if others, things go wrong in our lives, they always do. And what a testimony it would be to others if when they saw it happen, they saw us immediately turn to our God for help. If when the sickness came, we said to the neighbor, you know what, it won't matter because I'm going to talk to my God about it and he can fix anything. When a child goes astray and you're hurting from it and the neighbor's trying to find out what went on, you said, you know what, we hit a few bumps, but I don't need no counselor because I've got a God that can fix any heart problem a person has. What kind of a testimony could we have by our prayer life? And by our willingness to turn to God in a time of trouble. Ezra said, we have a testimony here that when we face problems, God is the answer to them. And we cannot undermine that by turning to man for help now. And I hope and pray that each of us to our neighbors and our co-workers and our fellow church members have a testimony that when things go wrong, God is our answer. God is what meets our need. And I hope that we uphold that testimony. That when things do go wrong and when we do struggle and we do have problems in life, they don't see us running to doctors or searching for the next miracle cure or looking for the next political solution, but they see us falling on our face and saying, God, there's a problem here, but you can fix it. God, there's a need here, but you can meet it. And the statement of their prayer on the riverbanks that night was, God is enough. Our God can handle this. I can't help but wonder what it must have been like for our Xerxes and his army sitting in the city that night, looking out over the walls, knowing what these people are about to go through, and saying, you know, it's odd they haven't asked for any protection. Kind of odd. They, we, we give them a lot of stuff, but the thing they need most, they haven't asked us for. I wonder what they thought. And I wonder what they thought further when they began to hear voices lifted up on the riverbank. And they began to hear God's people on their knees crying out and saying, Lord, this is going to be tough. And there's going to be enemies and trials and hardships. And Lord, we need you. God, men cannot deliver us from this, but you can. I wonder what kind of a testimony that was to the Persians as they looked on and saw these people aren't relying on the strength of man. They've got something else they're banking on. And it must be something awesome. What a testament to our faith and the power of our God we could have in front of others. I think of those four men that brought that man to Jesus in the New Testament. 
didn't go to look for doctors, didn't go to look for some drug or some cure that would fix their friend. But they took him up to the house where Jesus was at. And in front of everybody, they ripped off a roof and dropped him down through the ceiling to get us to Jesus Christ. And everybody watching that day said, those guys got some kind of confidence in that man, Jesus. Those guys, Jesus must be some kind of guy if they'd go to that length to get a hold of him. And what would it be if people could look at us and say, man, they must have some kind of confidence in their God. He must be some kind of God for them to trust him like that and rely on him like that. The statement of their prayer was we don't need the strength of man, but we need the strength of God to take us on our way. I want you to see lastly, not just the sacrifice and the the subject of their prayer and the statement, but I want you to see the success of their prayer. That night on the riverbanks, And I'm sure it was more than one night. They cried out and they prayed and they begged God for his help. And we do that too sometimes, don't we? But it seems sometimes like no matter how hard we ask, no matter how often we pray, no matter how many times we get the family together and we get the church together and ask for God to help us with that, it seems like we're just not going to get an answer. I can assure you of this today. It may seem sometimes like God is out of reach, but he is never out of earshot. And you may not see him on hand right away, but wherever you may be, he hears your prayer. He knows what you're asking for. Look at verse number 23. So we fasted and besought our God for this, and he was entreated of us. That word entreated means prevailed upon by urgent solicitation. They prevailed on God with their question. They prevailed on God with what they needed for that journey. It means that he was consenting to grant what is desired. I find it interesting that it never tells us how long they prayed. We don't know when they started. We know when they finished. That's when they left. But we don't know how long they prayed. But they didn't stop till they got an answer. And it may seem sometimes like I've been praying over this for weeks I've been praying over this for months. I've been fasting. I've been been suffering. I've been doing everything I know know how to reach out to God. And I'm just not getting an answer. Can I tell you today, there's never a right time to give up on it. There's never a right time to assume the answer just won't come. When we have a need and we have a burden, when it it has filled us with an earnest desire to touch God, the only time to stop is after God answers. And you may not think he answered in the right time schedule, but he always does. Doesn't matter when you start. It doesn't matter how long you've been at it. Keep praying till he answers. He will. He answers every time. It may not be the answer you picked ahead of time, but he'll answer. I find it amazing, these people, what they were about to go through. I can't imagine the trip, almost a thousand miles on foot through a wilderness. With enemies of God on every hand seeking to do them harm. And you know, they sat on on that trip with rejoicing. They started out assured that God would bring them the victory that they prayed for. Leonard Ravenhill said once that our problem with praying is not believing that God can meet the need. We all believe that. If he can part the Red Sea if he can raise Lazarus from the dead, if he could save our soul from hell, we know he can meet the need. 
Where we struggle with doubt is in believing that he will meet the need. It's easy for us to say God can because we've seen him do it a thousand times. But to believe that he will once more, that's where we struggle. But I want you to know today that no matter what the trial, no matter what the problem, no matter what the task in front of you, if you set out in prayer seeking God's will to get through it, no matter how long it may take, he will answer. And he will bring you through that journey safely. Look in chapter number 8, verse number 31. Chapter 8, verse 31. As was said, then we departed from the river Ahava on the twelfth day of the first month to go unto Jerusalem. And the hand of our God was upon us. And he delivered us from the hand of the enemy. And such as lay in wait by the way. There were traps set on that journey for them. There were pitfalls and snares along the way set for them. You know how they got through safely? Because before they took a step, they got down on their face by a riverbank. And no matter how much sacrificing it took, and no matter how much suffering it took, how time-consuming it was, and how long they had to stay at it, they stayed there till God answered. And when God gave them the green light, they went. They already had Artaxerxes' permission. They already had Artaxerxes' promise of provision. But they didn't take a step till on their face in prayer they'd gotten God's go-ahead to take the trip. And he brought them through safely. And I don't know what your journey is today. I don't know what you're in the middle of or what you're about to embark on. But whatever it may be, if you're going to get through safely, if you're going to fulfill the task that God has set before you, no authority of kings will do it for you. No might of armies will get you through. No strength of man can conquer your battle, but God can. God can. And what we need tonight in each of our hearts, I'm sure, is a renewal of our dependence on God. A renewal of the belief that we'll never get through this without the good hand of our God upon us. And we have to learn to pray, to pray with sacrifice, to pray with substance, to pray making the statement that no matter what, we're not turning to man for this answer. We're going to trust our God. And to pray and pray and pray until he answers that prayer. The invitation has been offered to us by Christ himself. That we may enter boldly before the throne of grace to obtain mercy in a time of need. But I'm afraid he stands there by that throne room in silence an awful lot. I'm afraid he stands there alone many a time when he knows we need his help. But we turn elsewhere. Or we decide to try to make it through on our own. And I want you to know tonight, Christian, that the only hope we have of getting through this journey that God has placed us on is the good hand of our God upon us. And the only hope we have of achieving that is a willingness to find out from his own word, from his own mouth, what he would have us to do and where he would have us to go, to fall on our faces before God and say, Lord, if we're going to get through this journey safely, it's going to be in you. We have to learn again how to depend on our God. The answer is not doctors, the answer is not friends or family, but the answer is prayer. And getting on our faces before a holy God and seeking what he alone can give us to bring us safely on our journey. And I don't know what it is that each of you lacks tonight, 
what it is you may struggle with in your prayer life, what it is you may struggle with when it comes to leaning on God. But God knows the answer to that. And just like he can meet any need, any physical need you have, he can meet the need of your heart. He can fulfill what it is you're missing. If you struggle with faith, he can fix that. You just have to ask him. He asked us to cast all our care upon him, for he careth for you, and he's waiting for you to do that tonight. God is waiting to hear his children pray and to cry out and to seek him in every step in any journey we take. But we'll never get the hand of God on us. We'll never get his direction or his provision or his protection. We will never find the answers we'd seek if we don't start asking. So I would encourage you tonight to think about the God you serve and His power and His strength and think about the road ahead of you, whatever may be coming down it. And this time, why don't we decide in our hearts that whatever may come, God will be the answer. God will be our guide and the solution to our problem, whatever it is that we face. Amen. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for all that you do. Lord, we thank you for being a prayer-hearing God and for being a prayer-answering God. And we thank you that no matter what it is you've set in our way, there is strength to get through and to conquer in your name and in your strength. And we ask tonight that, Lord, the message would have been pleasing to you and would have accomplished what you'd have it to do. Let your spirit do its work in our hearts tonight, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.